Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Empire. Welcome to Inside the Cap. I'm your host, Joel Corey. Um, Happy New Year. Um, You can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel. That is C-O-R-R-Y. J-O-E-L. And also, I have a regular CBS Sports dot column called Agents Take on NFL Contracts and Salary Cap Matters. Uh, this week, we're going to do a look back, recap, year in review of the biggest financial matters of 2020. First up is that the NFL has labor peace. In March, a new CBA was ratified. The CBA runs through the 2030 season. It narrowly passed. There was some concern that the CBA wasn't going to get ratified, and then we're going to have a bunch of unfavorable rules under the last year of the old CBA if there wasn't um, ratification. Now, there was a faction of players who didn't think the uh, there was enough given up uh, in the CBA, enough gained in the CBA to give up a 17th game. So that was one of the uh, major sticking points for why the CBA narrowly passed. Now, what we have is that a 17th game is going to uh, come into existence most likely next year. Um, the revenue split for the players is 47% this year, will go up to a minimum of 48% for the rest of the CBA. There's a media kicker which will probably have it settle in at 48.5% once the new TV deals are are in. Um, Could get as high as 48.8% if the uh, TV deals are phenomenal. So I really don't see that part happening, Um, them getting to that part, particularly given the pandemic. Another major criticism was that that the CBA is just too long, going through 2030. That's a long time. CBAs and other sports don't aren't that lengthy. Um, or if they are, there's an opt-out. So you could revisit things um, if the economic uh, equation changes. And also, some players thought that the uh, revenue split should have been at least 50-50 and didn't quite accomplish that. Now, in hindsight, you should look at it this way. that Let's say there wasn't a new CBA done <laughs> and we go through a pandemic Imagine, and, you're, and you have the last year of the CBA being played out, imagine trying to negotiate a new CBA in this particular climate. I suspect the players would not get the same CBA that they agreed to and would be in a far worse position. But nobody could plan for the pandemic. Nobody saw that coming. And that gets to the next point, what the pandemic did uh, to the NFL season. First, everyone was under the assumption or was projecting the cap to go up to anywhere in the $210 million, $215 million neighborhood for 2021. 
That's not going to happen. Because of the loss of revenues with COVID-19, um, there's a salary cap floor of $175 million. Um, nobody knows uh, exactly where the new cap's going to be. So for now, teams are operating on the premise that there's a $175 million cap. Because of the uh, pandemic, we had some amendments uh, to the CBA. You end up having players being allowed to uh, opt out voluntarily or in a high-risk category because they may have been more susceptible to having for under the, or developing severe complications for COVID-19 because of underlying medical conditions. The players voluntarily opt out, got $150,000 stipend, which was basically an advance. The high-risk players that opted out, uh, $350,000 stipend, which was not considered a salary advance. Some of the higher-profile players that opted out this year, Nate Solder for the Giants, um, and when you opted out, then your contract tolls. So if you're going to be in your contract year in 2020, your final year of contract will be 2021. And your salary comes off the books for uh, this year. So for someone like uh, the Broncos, Juwan James opted out. $13 million cap number, so there's no salary. They saved $13 million on the cap. Dante Hightower, Patriots opted out, and they had a lot of guys opt out, like a, a handful of players, which were kind of key. Um, Eddie Goldman for the Bears opted out. C.J. Mosley for the Jets opted out. Had a $17.5 million cap number because of a roster bonus. They only saved $7.5 million on the cap. Sarlo Tulele opted out for the Bills. Michael Pierce, Vikings. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif opted out. He's a doctor, so he decided to engage in the medical profession to help with the pandemic up in his native Canada. Opted out. Uh, Marquise Goodwin from the Eagles opted out. Uh, Devin Funches were some of the bigger opt-outs. Now, getting back to the ramifications of having a lower salary cap. At best, the salary cap's probably going to stay flat at the current 198.2 million level. If we get new TV deals done in time, that could be a game changer. Maybe they borrow more money from future years to make sure that the cap is flat, potentially goes up a little. But for now, everyone's uh, operating under the premise of a $175 million cap. Now, at $175 million cap, there are... (laughs) couple of teams which are in serious trouble, and they'd be in serious trouble no matter where the cap was going to be. First and foremost, New Orleans Saints. Right now, 45 players under contract, offseason top 51 count, um, and offseason accounting. Once you get to the top 51, they're going to have a little over $287 million in cap commitments. So, doesn't matter if the cap is 198 even if it was 215 they still have some problems. It won't be, but they're in the worst position. This isn't, I haven't looked at what the exit points for deals are and where they can get cap room, but just this is the baseline number that they're going to have some work to do. Philadelphia Eagles, um, they've got 52 players on the contract for next year, so if they're top 51, you're, they're at a shade over $268 million, so they're a little better off than New Orleans, but not much. Atlanta Falcons, we have their top 51. They only have 31 players under contract right now. Little $201 million of cap commitments. You fill out the top 51. 
they're probably going to be right around $215 million in cap commitments once you got to have the top 51. And the Pittsburgh Steelers, 36 players under contract for next year right now. You get them with the top 51, they're going to be right about $213 million um, in cap commitments. So good luck to you four teams trying to be camp cap compliant. Next up, everyone thought that if the Kansas City Chiefs got a deal done with Patrick Mahomes, he'd be the highest paid player in the NFL. Um, that was going to be a given. Would be the first $40 million per year uh, player in the NFL. Thought he, it was going to be, is he going to extend out for four years? Or is it going to be five years? But nobody saw what Patrick uh, coming, what Patrick Mahomes actually did. Um, Patrick Mahomes signed the richest contract in American team sports history. Um, during the offseason, signed a 10-year extension for $450 million worth up to 500 if extent with uh, incentives. So, $45 million per year average salary. Now, the thing about this deal is it's very team-friendly early on. Just from a cash flow standpoint, Mahomes kept his cap number basically the same this year. So, no cap ramifications the cap number next year is in the slightly over $24 million. But the cash is really low early on. That um, In the first three years of the deal, cash is at $63 million. Teddy Bridgewater's three-year deal to be a quarterback that he got in free agency from Carolina, $63 million. Mahomes is just a shade under 63-1. Now, if you look at two other first-round picks who did deals after three years last year, the draft in the 2016 draft class, as opposed to Mahomes 17, Carson Wentz, 81.57 million in the first three years of his contract. It's about 30 percent more than um, Mahomes. Jared Goff, 84.5 million. That's about 35 percent more. So the cash flow is not great in the deal, um, and it's backloaded because um, if you look at the first five new years of the contract. Mahomes is at $197.75 million. That's about 44% of the new money through the first five years. And so the last five new years, he's got $252.25 million. So that's an average of $50.45 million in the last five years. So that's 56% of the money in the last five years. A neutral deal would be 50-50. So, and that's not even what you would expect. So he really should be at 225 instead of 197.75 after those... Uh, first five years at a minimum it's got a unique aspect um in terms of security that he's got um the bulk of his money in per game not per game in march roster bonuses in each league year and they become fully guaranteed at least a year early um so typically a long deal after the first three four years the player's vulnerable but this protects Mahomes. Um, to a degree that let's say and I'll give you an example his 2027 compensation $10 million base salary $49.4 million third day of the league year roster bonus $550,000 workout bonus the $49.4 million becomes fully guaranteed on the third day of the 2026 league year so basically it'd be like a buyout <laughs> um, 2026 operates the same way he's got a $38.9 million third day of the league year roster bonus, which becomes fully guaranteed March of the 2025 
league year. So that meant the third day of the 2025 league year, which would be that March. So it, it starts the decreasing as you get towards the end of the deal. But that's what makes it possible for him to sign a 10-year deal and on some level not be totally exposed. Now, I think Mahomes is leaving money on the table by uh, taking this approach, but to each his home. That's his prerogative, his choice to do so, because he's trying to, I think he's trying to do, in a sense, what Tom Brady was doing with, with the um, um, Patriots, which is allow the Chiefs to keep the team together as much as possible, as mass as much uh, talent on the roster, so they can win multiple Super Bowls. But he's trying to strike a balance between compensation and not giving a steep hometown discount like Brady did. But we also saw that by September that we had a better idea of how he would be underpaid uh, over time. Um, some people have estimated he could be $200 million leaving on the table over the life of his career. But what I have to do is look at Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson signs a four-year extension for $39 million per year in early September before the regular season starts. Four, four new years, $156 million, four years. If you look at the cash flow and the new money in the common years, Watson has Mahomes beaten new money in every single year. Because even at year five, I mean the year four for um, new year for Watson, $156 million to $155.8 for um, Mahomes. So that was a little bit of a surprise that he was able to top Mahomes' new money average after four years, $38.95 million. So I suspect that um, when Watson's coming up for a new deal, probably in 2025, that they're going to want to um, extend it. He's going to be looking at what his break-even point with where Mahomes is going to be for how many more years he extends, starting with the beginning of when this extension started. He's going to have to sign another four-year extension averaging $47.75 million in 2025. We know Russell Wilson, when his contract's up, well, in 2023 he'll get a new extension. He may be the first $50 million per year guy. Uh, so we'll see where it goes, but it's probably a safe bet that Patrick Mahomes – basically signing away his prime years and most of his career is leaving significant money on the table. But once again, that is his choice. It is almost that time when you put your name in a grid and hope that your box hits the final score. But you don't have to wait till February to start winning with boxes. You can play box pools every day for every game. Boxes is completely free to play and you can win big. Go to boxes.com for more information or download the app now. B O X I Z. Sign up at boxes.com or download the app and use my code JOEL20. You will get free bonus boxes where you can win cash and other prizes. Let's look, uh, take a look at something which happened in free agency that nobody, some people weren't expecting. Conventional wisdom was that Tom Brady and the New England Patriots would find a way to work things out, but they didn't. Tom Brady left in free agency, goes to Tampa Bay, signs a two-year $50 million contract that is fully guaranteed that has another $9 million in incentives. So 
uh, Bruce Arians, <laughs> uh, tired of uh, Jameis Winston, gets Tom Brady in there. Um, the incentives are some of them two two point two five million are based on individual play, and the other two point two five million in each, uh, annual incentives are based on playoff success. There's thirteen point five million dollars of dead money for um, New England with um, Brady because of the way they structured his last contract that they had a roster bonus that was prorated 2019 through 2021. So that's a cap charge this year. And it's about 3.75 times more than the uh, cap charges that the Patriots have for collectively for their quarterbacks on the roster this year. Um, Typically a team likes to be proactive and extend the contracts of core players um, before their rookie contracts expire or if it's a veteran before um, that extension or new contract expires so they don't hit free agency or have to put a franchise tag on them. That hasn't been the case with the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott. Um, Prescott um, had a career year statistically playing out his rookie contract. They tried to negotiate a deal. Um, There were various reports, but he was offered... At least $30 million per year on a five-year extension. Some reports peg that at closer to $33, $34 million per year. Nonetheless, he turned it down. Um, that meant that the Cowboys were going to have to put a franchise tag on to keep him from hitting the open market. They've stuck the extensive, exclusive franchise tag on him for $31.409 million. There weren't a whole lot of talks from talking or negotiating early in the offseason until close to the July 15 um, deadline for franchise players to sign a long-term deal. So, 11th hour, Prescott, Cowboys try to get a deal done, last-ditch effort. Uh, the reports were $35 million per year, five years, uh, was what Dallas was holding firm on. Couldn't get it done. Guarantees like $107 million. The cash flow the first three years was one sticking point. But the bigger sticking point was length of contract. Prescott wanted a four-year deal. Cowboys, their big deals are all longer, um, wanted five years. They've signed Tyron Smith to eight years, um, eight new years. Zach Martin, six new years. So that's going to be a problem. The thing is, quarterback market, Patrick Mahomes' side, guys are signing for four new years. Um, when they do the deals. Aaron Rodgers, four new years. Had two years left, though, but four new years. Um, Russell Wilson, one year left, gave up four new years. Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, gave up four new years. Then we saw Deshaun Watson, two years left, rookie contract, but gave up four new years. Now, to me, the reason that you don't have a deal done, I put the onus a lot more on Dallas than I do Dak Prescott. Now, if you're going to be really proactive and you know that Seahawks are going to do a deal for Russell Wilson at some point in the 2019 offseason, you want to get ahead of that because Russell Wilson was going to become the highest-paid quarterback, which he did at $35 million per year. You want to beat that to the market. Now, what Dallas did was they prioritized getting their franchise player, Demarcus Lawrence, done. He They stuck another tag on him, second one. I would have made... Dak Prescott the priority as soon as you lost in the playoffs and try to get that done to get him in before Russell Wilson 
before Carson Wentz signs for $32 million a year. Because then maybe you're getting him low 30s if you if you made more of an effort. And then you go out at insult to injury that you signed Ezekiel Elliott, um, who off the field had some issues, reward negative behavior. When Dak's been a model citizen, he held out, got had two years left on his rookie contract, sign him. All this stuff, at least to Dak's agent, that was something that they we're keenly aware of. I'm sure Dak was on some level as well. So you end up costing yourself money. Now, what position are you in now? Because you dragged your feet. Then you dragged your feet this year. If you knew Mahomes was going to get done, you wanted to beat that to the marketplace. Granted, it's a anomaly type deal, but still, we saw that um, Sean Watson came in and beat him in their common years in terms of new money. So that changes everything. Now you're in a position that if you want to keep Dak from the open market, you're going to have to stick a second franchise tag on him at a 20% raise when the cap's going to go down, and that's going to be $37,690,800 for a second franchise tag on him. And the weird thing is that even though Dak Prescott had a season-ending injury in the fifth game of the year for a compound fracture and dislocation of his right ankle, He's a kind. He's he did. He he was playing the best football of his career. He was he was on pace to shatter the season 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 single season passing record. If you look at through his first four complete games to the quarter mark, he was unsustainable. He wasn't going to throw for six thousand seven hundred sixty yards, but that's where he was uh, on that type of pace. <laughs> so he did what he needed to do in that short time, and may have actually increased his leverage. Because Dallas today needs some help to get into playoffs. They have six wins, even though the offense has started to click a little more past couple of weeks with Andy Dalton um, in relief. But early on, that offense struggled mightily. And Jerry Jones has said the injury doesn't change change their plans for Dak. So if I'm representing Prescott, I'm looking at I have a very expensive one-year prove-it deal. It almost $37.7 million per year. I have no incentive to get a deal done until you stick the tag on me. And then I might be inclined to play extreme hardball and go, you got to give me what I want or I'll play it out. And you're going to have to make a decision on a third franchise tag in 2022 at a 44% raise. And that'll be the final franchise tag in my career at $54,274,000. $752, or I can be free in 2022, which to me means if you're going to sign Dak Prescott, it's going to be minimum $40 million per year on a long-term deal. And also, I tell Dallas, I only want to sign for four years from the time my rookie contract expired. So we're not talking five years. We're not talking four now. I already played one. I wanted four last year, three years. So 120 over three, maybe that gets it done. But... <laughs> Dallas not getting a deal done with a guy that's supposed to be their quarterback. Highly unusual situation because most teams are afraid of the unknown of quarterbacks and will go ahead and make sure that they don't get to this position. Quarterbacks rarely get to the point where they are franchised. Kirk Cousins was twice, played the franchise tag game with the Redskins, embraced the pot, embraced it, got a fully guaranteed contract out of free agency. Drew Brees got franchised in 2011 by the Saints, but typically you don't see quarterbacks even get to the point where they're franchised, let alone play on two tags. 
the season hasn't gone anywhere the way the Houston Texans thought it was going to go. Um, Bill O'Brien um, lost his job, the head coach and slash GM, after an 0-4 start. They had been a team that had been a perennial playoff team under O'Brien, but some questionable decisions for Bill O'Brien led to his undoing. And first off was, let's go ahead and trade arguably the best receiver in football over the past few years. You could say it's Julio Jones going into this year. The debate was Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins. Jones has been injured uh, this year. But let's go ahead and trade DeAndre Hopkins and a fourth-round pick to the Cardinals for David Johnson, a second-round pick, and a fourth-round pick. Part of the justification for the trade was that um, Hopkins wanted a new contract and they weren't going to give it to him, so they decided to deal him. Well, that's all well and good, but you didn't get what you are supposed to get for him because, uh, well, Buffalo Bills gave up a ton to get Stephon Diggs. I don't know if O'Brien uh, placed the call to Brian Gain, who used to be the GM that was ousted, and O'Brien ultimately took his job, but Bills gave up a first-round pick in 2020, a fifth-round pick in 2020, a sixth-round pick in 2020, a fourth-round pick in 2021 uh, to get Diggs, and also threw in a seventh-round pick back to Minnesota to... <laughs> But still, big discrepancy. And then to add insult to injury, if you're going to take on David Johnson, who hadn't had uh, his last really productive season was 2016 when he was great offensive player of the year, how about having the uh, Cardinals eat some of his salary? (laughs) That's something that um, O'Brien should have been familiar with because uh, he did that with um, Jadavion Clowney when he traded him to the Seahawks converted converted um, a significant portion of his $15 million salary on the way out the door into um signing bonus. So, should have made the Cardinals eat a portion of that, but didn't. Well, that was uh, one thing that led to his undoing. Well, then they gave Laramie Tunsil a ton of contract leverage uh, by not getting a deal done when they gave up Multiple first-round picks and second-round pick. And so some players were exchanging the deal. Gave up two first-round picks and a second with some players going in the deal as well. But that was the essence of the trade. So when you don't get a deal done with a player when you trade him, you give him a tremendous amount of leverage. Um, Tunsil, even though he didn't formally have an agent, had enough leverage to, to dramatically reset the bar for um, the tackle market. $22 million per year. Um, three-year extension. Benchmark had been Lane Johnson at $18 million per year. So that's a dramatic reset. At the time, he had an offensive lineman record of $40 million fully guaranteed at signing. He was the first $20 million per year offensive lineman. So those two, those are two biggest blunders. And then you let DJ Reader walk in free agency instead of paying him. Uh, you go out and sign Randall Cobb and Eric Murray, make them a higher priority. Um, Reader was your big run stuff in the middle of the line. But now O'Brien's out, but he's not the only one who should share some blame for this stuff. Jack Easterbay, who has the uh, uh, owner's ear, the front office executive with an um, unusual background, was a team chaplain um, with the um, Patriots and has amassed a significant amount of power in Houston. He's just as culpable for this stuff 
has O'Brien. But um, Houston's loss is Miami's gain because the implosion this season, the Texans are in a position for that pick to be where they never thought it would be. Yeah. For another loss in the season finale to the Titans, it's the third pick in the draft. Miami will have the third pick as a part of that trade. Nobody envisioned that happening. Now, um, let's look at one final thing. Um, you had a lot of markets that uh, got reset this year. Tight end market, George Kittle. Um, reset a stagnant market had been Jimmy Graham's only $10 million per year tight end. He gets to $15 million per year. Uh, $40 million overall guarantees. $30 million fully guaranteed at signing. Cornerback market had been stagnant for a long time as well. Jalen Ramsey, first $20 million per year cornerback. Tredavious, uh, it's that, move, that market started moving in free agency first. Byron Jones gets the 16.25. Then Darius Slay in the trade from the Lions to the Eagles gets to just under 17. Then Tredavious White takes the 17.25. And now you have Jalen Ramsey at $20 million per year. Chris McCaffrey reset the running back market, signed a four-year extension, averaging a little over $16 million per year. He had a 1,000 receiving rushing yard season last year, which is how he got there, was able to do that. But had the um, Panthers waited, because he's basically been hurt the whole year, <laughs> he wouldn't be at that, that, that amount. Um, so strike while the iron is hot, particularly if you're running back. We had the first $25 million defensive uh, player in the NFL, Miles Garrett, um, signed a five-year extension with the Browns to get there. And then before the ink was barely dry on that, that contract, Joey Bosa becomes the highest paid defensive player in NFL history. $135 million f- over five years on the extension, $27 million per year. Uh, 102 million in guarantees, most ever for defensive player. 78 fully guaranteed at signing, and then we had the Cardinals take care of DeAndre Hopkins. Um, he's now the highest-paid non-quarterback in the league. Had three years left on that contract, two-year extension, 54.5 million dollars uh, for two years, 27.25 million per year, is where he's at, and has a clause where he can get out of the second new year. Um, he can void out of it based on his performance um, in the first uh, four years of the deal, 20 through 2020 through 23, needs either 400 catches, 500 receiving yards, 40 touchdown catches, or being named first team all pro four times. So we'll see if he opts out. But a $30 million per year um, player is on the horizon, could be t- non-quarterback, could be T.J. White. Um, who will be in his contract year, fifth-year option with the Steelers. Well, that's going to wrap up this week's episode uh, of Inside the Cap uh, and our uh, recap of financial matters of the 2020 season. Um, Don't forget you can find me on Twitter. That is Corey Joel, C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. And I have that regular column for CBSSports.com, Agent's Take. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next week. Goodbye.